Yeah. You know, like, this whole concept of intelligence is so flawed, right? We tend to associate intelligence with academic book smarts, right? But the older I've gotten, I've realized that looking backwards, there's two other dimensions of intelligence that are way more important in the scheme of life. And those two things are emotional intelligence and street smarts. Street smarts is underrated, right? I hate the terminology I'm about to use, but when I turned my life around, per se, and started associating with a lot more normal people, or whatever you want to call mainstream society, one thing that I realized a lot of these people were missing was street smarts. And I said to some old friends of mine from the lifestyle, I said to them, like, one absolute advantage that we have over a lot of these people is street smarts you can spot treachery coming a mile away you can see the shit goes unfolding right before your eyes you know what i mean much quicker than the average person can because you're used to dealing with these high intensity environments so when it comes to workplaces dating interpersonal relationships business whatever it is that occurs in the straighty 180 world you have this advantage in in theory too where you can see things coming and you know like when i think about some of the little nuanced things that we used to do little rules that we used to adhere to in terms of street smarts man it's just fucking funny like it's like the no hat policy right no hats in the car people probably thinking what the fuck are you talking about but when we used to roll around in crews like four or five deep males in a car, right? Particularly, you know, during work hours or really late at night, the cops are driving around and they're making split second assessments of the vehicles that they spot while they're on the road, right? So when you got the jacks driving past at three twenty on a Tuesday and they see four or five males deep in a car with no work uniforms and all of them have got hats on, that just spells drama to them. You're going to get pulled up in 30 seconds flat or less, quicker than you can say Oklahoma, right? They're fucking onto you, right? And it's like, what we started doing is just taking our hats off in the car, and it was like a serious thing because you're all getting into the vehicle. Guys have got drugs on them. They've got weapons on them. They've got you know, indictable offences on their person when we're getting into the car, right? So sometimes you would even have like a kind of blow in with you or someone that really wasn't from your circle and they wouldn't take their hat off. You give them a little quick comment as you get in the car, like, oh, just take your hat off, bro, and then just chuck your hat off, yeah? Especially the driver, making sure that, you know, they're driving around, especially the drivers probably driving drug affected as well. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, no hat policy. Yeah, the funny one too is like I used to know a couple of guys that used to do drops, like um, by drops I mean you know dropping off drugs to people, doing drug deals with like a shirt and tie on the top and like tracksuit pants and sneakers on the bottom. So same thing when the cops look and they see the profile of the driver, it just looks like a suit or just an office bloke going to and from a meeting or to and from work, and they just think oh yeah, let it slide. You know what I mean? It just looks like the everyday citizen, but. That was a mad little throw-off, you know. And me and my mate, we used to have a good one. Like, um, We used to bounce a footy and handball a footy to each other. And we kind of just 
set people up to do drops between like a local oval or local park or just on the street anywhere it doesn't matter that you just look like two young guys just going for a kick at the footy and and back years ago when i first started selling chorf as a teenager you know blockbuster video easy was still popping off back then so i just used to walk around with dvds i just <laughs> looked like i was returning dvds you know especially if it was just in my local neighborhood like near my mum's house you know what i mean just as a throw-off like yeah just kind of funny little things that um yeah like man there's so many little funny ones that come back to me like even now still i'll say if i'm out with a couple of guys and we're just kind of loitering in between venues or we're out for a drink or like i never like to look aimless because that's another way i used to get pulled up by the jacks back in the days loitering and looking aimless on the streets particularly during work hours and late at night same as the the vehicle thing because i don't know i always felt like i had to be on a mission when i'm on the sidewalk make it look like i got somewhere to go got somewhere to be i've got a purpose in life because then the jacks would just pass you by but even still i get this little anxiety that comes through me now it's like an ingrained instinct when i'm just with a couple of guys and we're just chit-chatting on the street even though i've got nothing on me i'm not doing anything wrong i just feel like fuck why are we why are we looking so red hot out here like let's keep moving why are we all just standing here talking like we're looking aimless then you get pulled up and then you kind of have to snap out of it but you realize that some of these things that they get ingrained into you like muscle memory they never leave you you know what i mean same thing if i'm in a group of guys and feels like there's threats or there's some sort of arguments and guys start going silent you know like back in the day all the air raiders that would just yell and carry on and cause big scenes a lot of them don't really do shit it's when guys go silent that you got to watch out and the same thing too if, if you've got a hat on and someone starts trying to pull your hat off or twist your hat to the side that's a no-go because they're twisting your hat to the side so they're, they're going to slash your face up with a razor or a shank or something like that it's going to go down the side of your face they've got a clear path to get you that's a bad one that happened to me one time this older bloke when i was a teenager i was trying to roll me didn't get anything off me but he had a box cutter on him and he twisted my hat to the side and i could oof, i could see he was going to strike uh, yeah luckily nothing went down but certain cues like that that you got to look for like it's like the old cliche where a guy would come up to you and you're wearing a nice outfit and guys go yeah nice shoes nice jacket bang you got to get in defense mode straight away the average person probably go oh thanks mate <laughs> thanks man yeah <laughs> they think it's like a compliment it's like nah nice shoes nice jacket means they want it you know <laughs> i'm not sure if people still get rolled on the streets as much as they used to but this was certainly a thing when i was growing up if you want to have a fresh pair of air max or a brand new polo outfit or whatever man you got to be prepared to run it or defend it yeah like silly silly shit but it's funny you know like um and with the outfits too if you want to like you got to be able to switch descriptions switching outfits means switching police descriptions that's why i used to love reversible jackets and hats and all these kind of things i haven't really worn a hat for about 12 years but i used to rock hats religiously and not only does it kind of obscure your face from cctv but if you feel like you're red hot you can kind of duck your hat or put it in your jacket flip your reversible jacket out and the next minute you're a totally different police description right if a hero citizen calls the cops and said yeah he had a um a blue hat and a black jacket on 
man, within 30 seconds, you've got no hat on and you've got a beige jacket. Shit's reversed. You're a totally different police description. You can duck, you know? Sweet, but yeah, like, I don't know. There's so many little things that used to be so hyper important to me that just mean fuck all now, you know? Like, um, yeah. A mate of mine was like a master of disguise too. He used to have like hat, jacket, everything, and then sunglasses, bang. And then he used to have like a jogging set underneath his clothes like every day so if he was out like popping tills or doing urns or something like that and he felt like he was red hot he could just throw everything a bag strip down to the jogging outfit and just jog along the side of the street and just like that way just like running away looks normal he just looks like a jogger with a backpack on yeah like that that was a funny one he used to employ it like every day you know and um yeah uh another (laughs) oh man another thing that kills me is like my mate said to me one day oh you're always rocking all over the city always in every area always hanging out in the cbd as well like man you must know all the nice brascos (laughs) right but brasco he means toilet slang for toilet he said to me you must know all the nice brascos and looking back i was man i was kind of really embarrassed when he said it to me because he was fucking right like (laughs) from just always being out and about i knew like oh really nice place to have a shit in paran like (laughs) hang a piss in richmond yeah go there because you get to know all the like hotel toilets or all the nice public toilets shopping center toilets that are all clean you know what i mean (laughs) you go and frequent them like regularly oh man that's embarrassing like they should have an awards ceremony for that kind of stuff, you know. The Street Olympics, the Street Awards, man. <laughs> Presenting live the 2009 King of Brascos, Paddy Looms, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, man, that's fucking embarrassing. Fucking shoot me. Yeah, man, do people still chrome anymore? chroming look that's a chat vice that is foul (laughs) like oh i can remember being at footscray station waiting for this older head and i was by that famous donut stand and this guy just came up to me with a fucking orange face like bright orange spray paint all over his face and i looked down in his right hand he's got a macca's bag that's obviously just like full of paint you know and he's got a can in his back pocket, like an orange can of spray paint, like full orange export. Oh, man. I just remember being shocked by that. Like, I've seen some pretty fucked up things in regards to drug abuse. But that's a low one, that one. Chroming is intense, man. There used to be this group that used to chrome in Richmond every day. You'd see them. They used to walk downhill but on Church Street between Bridge and Swan. Man, it was tragic to see them all the time. You see guys in Ringwood and the Outer East, Basie, Baronia, all that kind of stuff. Chroming, man. I haven't seen it in a long time. I really fucking hope if there's a God in the sky, I pray to that God that people aren't chroming anymore. Fuck, the ice is bad enough. Yeah, yeah. Apologies if you thought there was going to be some philosophical point related to this. There isn't. (laughs) It's just that. Chroming fucking chat. That's the end of it. Man. 
ice, like, I know I touched on this in another episode too, but ice really changed the fabric of society, like, it changed the world of crime, it changed the nature of drug addicts, had a huge impact on country towns, the outer suburbs, everything, like, when it comes to ice, methamphetamine abuse, like, Man, I just feel low for having anything to do with, like, pushing that poison into the community, you know what I mean? Oh, man, like... And if you've ever seen it cooked, oh, my fucking God. I remember being at this dodgy house one time, and before we even got to the front door, we were just inside the front gate, walking up to the front door, you could just smell this intense waft of chemical. Oh, my God. So obvious, man. So red hot. We get inside this house. Like a mate's mate. I really wanted nothing to do with it at the time. But looking back, it was a bit of a spectacle. I get inside this house and they're cooking, right? Cooking shard in the back room. Just like a bunch of drongos cooking shard in the back room. Man, all the utensils, everything fucking filthy. House filthy. The cook filthy. (laughs) Like, and this intense smell right it's just permeating throughout the house we get to the front door of the house get through the front door down this hallway and as i get close to the doorway of the room i said to my mate i said nah man i'm not coming in here like those things fucking blow up too like those meth labs right and the other thing is like even the real estate agents know this right if you're out there and you're going to apply for a property a rental property you're going to buy a house anything you need to ask the real estate agent was this property ever the site of a meth lab previously because the toxicity of that is crazy i remember reading some sort of statistic correct me if i'm wrong but it was something like for every one keg every one key of ice that is cooked it produces like 6x the amount of toxic waste like six kilos of toxic waste or something it's like it's intense right And the thing is, if you're not careful, that will stain the walls, that will stain everything. You do not want to be living in a property that has once upon a time been used as a meth lab. Like, they just got to level those things to the ground and start again, like... And after seeing that firsthand, I just remember thinking, man, this is putrid, like... And every step of the process is putrid. All the way from it being cooked, all the way through the user cooking themselves with it. Man next level shit really really changed the fabric of society and you know i can advocate for the positive use of drugs to some degree in some capacities you know what i mean whether it's marijuana or say they microdose um mdma ketamine or this kind of thing they're doing a lot of clinical trials with microdosing and depression and some stuff that i've kind of been following and i've kind of been interested in but when it comes to the shabs the ice man that really really did a number on society and i think it's only going to get worse that's fucking tragic yuck i think identity and self-sabotage go hand in hand right let's just say your baseline view of your own identity is sparked by years of trauma neglect and schema beliefs you're just gonna think that you're defective or not worthy uh you're just a piece of shit because that's how you've been conditioned to feel by external forces right and then 
when you get that itch that you want to scratch in terms of chasing your ambitions and chasing your dreams and leveling up or getting out of a hole or whatever it is, there's something that's a driving force inside you. In comes a big wave of anxiety and it's the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. And that fear leads to self-sabotage. When you just become nihilistic, you just bail out, you just cop out, go fuck it, who cares anyway, I'm just a piece of shit anyway, I wasn't going to work anyway, or who gives a fuck, I don't give a fuck about the world, fuck the world, fuck my life, whatever. Man, it's so sad when you hear that coming out of people's mouths, because I know I've been there myself, I've been there and I've seen it a thousand times, and it's like De Niro said in a Bronx tale, like, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. Man, I know so many like beautiful, talented, unique people, creative people that are clouded by their own identity and are clouded by self-sabotage. And it comes in every level. It's maybe you're just trying to get fit. Maybe it's someone you want to ask out from the opposite sex. Maybe you want to start that little small business on the side. Maybe you want to go for that promotion, but you self-sabotage yourself. And man, it's it's almost like, okay, put it like this, like when I was young, when I was in primary school, I was considered to be really intelligent. I was school captain. All the teachers thought I had this grand potential. Like it sort of became my identity when I was young, but beneath the surface, I was fucked up. But if you looked at me on paper, people thought I'll go on to do great things. And Many, many years later, when I'm caught up in this hectic lifestyle and I'm down and I'm out mentally, I was looking for like any way out, you know what I mean? I was looking for the lifeboat and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to get the quickest possible job I could get. I remember going to get a job as a telemarketer. I lasted three weeks selling AFL tickets or memberships or something and I just remember thinking, this is what I deserve. This is all I'm capable of. I've missed the boat on university. I've missed the boat on working throughout my 20s. I've missed the boat here and I've missed the boat there because I'm just fucked up. Something about me is just fucked up. This is all I deserve. I did the same thing around a similar time. I went to try and get a, a, a forklift driver's job, right? Just off Dorset Road in Basie. Man, I've never had any fucking interest in factories. I've never had any fucking interest in forklifts or whatever. But that's what I felt at the time. That's all I deserved. I felt that's all I was capable of because I was not worthy, because I thought I'd missed the boat, because I thought I was fucked up, you know? And looking back now, I think I can't believe I ever thought that that was the right path for me. And in hindsight, it's probably a positive thing along the way because I thought I was trying to take baby steps out of changing my lifestyle, right? I was looking for a way out. And you got to try and try and try and fail and fail and fail sometimes to get somewhere because failure is your friend. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. Failure is good for you, but the problem is you got to go through it. you got to walk across the hot coals, of existence on planet earth to get to the other side you know what i mean it does build character so does rejection because rejection fucking stings rejection stings whether it's from women whether it's from a job whether it's from someone you respected man rejection does sting and if your identity is fragile underneath 
and your mental state is fragile underneath, that rejection can put you in a super dark place, you know what I mean? But um, these days when I, I think a bit differently, but I still talk to people that kind of have this really limited self-belief and I, it's almost like I can stare through into their soul and I can feel what they're going through. And man, I wish everybody out there that's listening can kind of see their own potential and man, I think it's um, it's important that we recognize our own potential on planet Earth. We only got one life, you know what I mean? It's going to be over soon. So you got to go for it. And sometimes it's going to take rejection. It's going to take meltdowns. It's going to take so much failure in order to get there. But all that pain is pale in comparison to the pain that you're going to feel if you never have a fucking crack in the first place doesn't matter what it is maybe it's you know what i mean you wanted to write a book uh you want to drop an album you want to try go for promotion you're thinking about moving countries you want to ask that girl out that you see all the time whatever the fuck it is you know what i mean big scale small scale whatever have a fucking crack man you might wonder to yourself sometimes why do people sell drugs why don't they just go and get a regular job? Why don't they start a business then? You know, it's a complex question, but besides the fact that I think young people with certain insecurities are looking for a way out and they find the world of crime that just opens up a Pandora's box like another dimension where they can reinvent themselves, I think it also has a lot to do with economic factors as well. You know, I heard recently that the projected retirement age for my generation is well into the 70s, like mid-70s. Who wants to work until they're in the mid-70s? Have a look at the graphs that plot wage growth against property prices, and you'll see, like, the golden age of the Australian economy is done, right? People want to get ahead quick, right? A lot of people I know that sell drugs and are sold drugs, they don't come from rich backgrounds, like myself, you grow up and you see your mum struggle working three jobs. You don't want that life for yourself. As much as you love and respect your mum for just doing you the biggest solid and being a matriarch like that, you don't want that life for yourself. And when you're young and you're angry and you've got issues and it's all swirling around inside your head, you think, fuck this, I'm going to make something of myself. And you look outside and you see people that are unhappy, stuck in their nine to five jobs, stuck in the rat race, never actualize their dreams. People struggling to pay the bills at 45, 50 years old. You see this, it, particularly in low socioeconomic areas. You see people struggling, living in commission flats, 50 years old, down and outers. You know what I mean? And then... You see a couple of guys that created the blueprint before you and you see them living the fast life. And at first, when you see it, you think these guys are rock stars. You want that. You don't want what everyone else has. You want to be the outcast of society that you feel you are anyway, right? And it's funny, you know, like the, f the first time I ever started dabbling this kind of thing, a lot of people will laugh, right? I remember going to meet this older guy in my area at a bus stop. I think I was 14, 15 maybe. 
and I bought a kiwi of chuff off him, a kiwi of weed. And I remember going home, getting the old school micro digital double pointer scales, and going into off your tree and getting like Grammy bags and weighing up seven jingers, right? Seven sticks to a QE, weighing up each of them individually. And I thought if I could sell six, then I could smoke one for myself and break even or make a little profit or whatever it was at the time. But it's nothing, right? When you get to that smaller level, you're talking fives and tens and fifteens and twenties and stuff like that. But that's the first thing I ever did. And then obviously it grew and grew and over the years it go up and go down and go in and go out and blah, 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 blah. We don't need to discuss. The jacks don't need to hear it either. But it's like something inside you thinks, I want to break free of the generational cycle of the economic state of my family. Fuck that. I just don't want to be another statistic, another person in an office, another person struggling, another bloke on the labor site. I want to run my own race. And a lot of drug dealers I know and people like me will struggle with management, struggle to be managed, never respected our authority growing up, whether it's our parents or the police or anything. So why am I going to go into a workplace and expect myself to respect the authority of someone above me in the workplace? I won't even do it at a government level. I won't even do it in my family household. You know what I mean? So, I'll tell you another thing that spurred me on, right? Um, I was about 18, and I used to hang out in this apartment with a friend of mine, and it was owned by another friend of mine's parents who kind of left him in Australia and moved overseas. And we just used to run a market, live this fucking alternate lifestyle in this apartment, right? Day in, day out. And I'll never forget, there was all this shit banged up in the hallway. And the mate of mine that rented the room there said, you know what, I'm going to call our other mate. I'm going to get him to come and pick his shit up. It's just been sitting there for fucking days on end. And there was like a blue cooler bag. You know, like a green bag, but a zip-up one that can hold, um... Zip-up one that can, can hold, like, cold goods or whatever. It was just sitting there for four days straight. In the end, our mate comes to pick it up. He's puzzled. He goes, I can't even remember leaving this here. Opens it up. There's fucking 60 grand cash inside there, right? Fuck. And it blew my mind. You know what I mean? I don't think... There's no way my mum would have even earned 60,000 per year, right? And then here's this guy. He'd just written it off like he'd forgotten about it. <laughs> hey, legend of a bloke too. Um, it's almost like... What the fuck is going on here? Like, this is next level. This seems like the ticket. This is going to get me ahead, right? How do I get the fuck involved in this? i got to wake up. What am I doing? You know what I mean? At the time, I was selling chorf and doctor shopping and selling zannies and uh, I was racking flat out and blah, blah, blah. But looking back, I was just a loser. You know what I mean? Just a lost youth. And, um, yeah, there's moments like that that were just embedded in my mind that changed me forever and so you might get people in mainstream society that think how could people do this how could people pursue this path but let me ask you this rather than explain to you why i could go on for another hour on this topic but rather than do that i want to put the question to anyone that's listening out there that would think that they would ask that question i want to ask you what kind of background are you from economically? And what kind of family stability do you have? 
Would you say it's positive? And would you say you come from a pretty good financial background? Do you think there's a lot for you to fall back on? And if you think yes, I want you to be super grateful. I want you to take a moment to reflect and be grateful for the life that was carved out for you by those that came before you. Because that's a viewpoint that, because it's a game of perspective. And if you've never walked in our shoes, you won't understand our perspective. And it felt like this way where you could just be immortalized in another dimension of society. Like, you know, we all came up during the underbelly era, you know, when all the hotshot gangsters were getting famous and in the era where the bikey clubs moved away from the traditional smelly old hairy bikey into the flash Nike bikey. You know, and you look at these guys and you see the mad outfits and the big chains and the bundles of cash and the women and the strip clubs and everything. What young man does not want that? You know what I mean? Especially when you're on the fringe of society, especially when you come from nothing. And if you can get that express through four-wheeling, man, of course you're going to go for it. It's a seductive lifestyle. You know what I mean? Certainly to begin with seductive yeah yeah you know that old cliche is true you can't judge a book by its cover and um it's another game of perspective too where you think about your own identity how you see yourself you forget that other people see you differently and then you could argue there's a third dimension in which you are neither of those and you're someone else entirely but you can't see it and other people can't see it because you're both hindered by perception you're both hindered by judgment you know what I mean but um, after I did the first two podcasts a lot of people that I didn't grow up with reached out to me and they were they was kind of so shocked about the content because I suppose they only know me of recent so they see me in one light and they couldn't fathom seeing me in the other light but what I say to people is, you don't understand that human beings are complex. We are complex beasts, you know. There's many dimensions to people. And you might not even know yourself as well as you think you know yourself, right? But you certainly can't judge a book by its cover. I can, um, I can remember that club uh, Boney. It used to be called Pony back in the day and then it was Boney, right? Everyone in Melbourne knows the spot. There's a laneway behind Boney. And I remember being in that laneway one night about 3 a.m. And um, this Indian guy approaches me while I'm smoking a joint. And he wanted to share the joint. And we had a bit of a chit-chat. He was nice enough. So I thought, you know what? I'm always kind of down for a yarn. Especially if I'm drunk and high. Right? And I'm talking to him. And um, he presented well, you know, pretty clean cut Indian guys, rocking a Kenzo crew neck jumper, clean pair of Air Max 95s, everything. And he was telling me uh, he just did 10 grand at the casino on the tables. And, you know, I'm just wavy at the time. I said to him, yeah, yeah, you get that on the big jobs. <laughs> just chit chatting, you know. And then, um, anyway, we start sharing this joint, then we go back and forth. We start getting into this like existential chat with each other about life and hardship and perspective and all this kind of stuff and 
Um, we ended up sitting there for about half an hour, 40 minutes, and smoking another joint. And he keeps trying to sell me this Longines watch that he's wearing. You know what I mean? He would say something really articulate and profound, and then next minute he would just try and sell me the fucking watch off his wrist. He wanted 200 bucks for this Longines watch or something. I kept telling him, I said, brother, I don't want the watch. You know? <laughs> and um, anyway, like, he telling me all about his... Um, his original ambition was to move to Australia to pursue being a barber and all this kind of stuff, but it hasn't gone that way. And um, the the gambling's got him. The table games have got him. You know what I mean? He's hooked on the blackjack. He's hooked on the whole casino experience. Anyway, long story short, we ended up having this really cool chat. And then um, we just shook hands and went our separate ways. And I said, peace, go with your brother. All the best. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm just taking off home. Now, if you know that laneway behind Boney where the car park is, the end of that laneway is like a a well-known spot where homeless people sleep. The whole time we're sitting there, there's 20, 30 homeless people like 40 meters down the lane, you know? And um, I slowly jerried as he was walking off down the lane that that's what he meant by he was going home. And yeah, sure enough, he walked back into the group and shook a few hands and not a few heads with the other homeless community. And then he ducked under the first floor ceiling of the car park and laid down where the bedding was and, and went to sleep. And yeah, it just kind of got me. I still remember that. I remember thinking like, man, I kind of relate to this guy's struggle, but sometimes you don't see it coming in other people. And it's a lesson that you never really know what someone else is going through. And you've got to keep a level head when you've got someone in front of you. Because how well do you really know someone that's in front of you? How well do you really know that person? And then when you do get to know them, well, how well do you really know them? How well do they really know themselves? Yeah, it's a scary spiral of thought sometimes. But it just goes to show that you can't judge a book by its cover. And you should never write someone off where they're down and out too. Because... You never really know who's who and who's struggling with what. So sometimes if you just radiate good energy yourself and be open to um, be open to sharing and being vulnerable with others, it can go a long way, man. Who knows what that conversation did for that guy that night? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, pain is the greatest motivator for me personally like um i remember my dear friend joey gargoyle r.i.p bless his soul he said something um years ago he said he only really felt like making music when he was depressed he only really felt like being creative when he was depressed and man i related so hard because like if i'm feeling good if i'm feeling content in life man i feel like i just want to go for a run or cook a beautiful feed or just drink nice wine or something like that but it's when I'm down and out, when I'm depressed, when I'm on the brink, when I'm going through a breakup or something. That's when I start making art. That's where all the coping mechanisms start kicking in and my brain opens up into this other portal and I start making records, making art, making this, making that. Anything that I can do to escape. Anything I can do where I can channel all the energy that's flooding through me into some form of medium, you know? And um, it's the same as when your back's against the wall. That's when you hustle. That's when you start making moves. To be honest, like, comfort's kind of dangerous, you know? Um, I get a little bit suspicious when things are going well in life. I'm not used to it. 
Man, I just start getting anxious. What's gonna go wrong? Something has to go wrong. This is sus. Man, I'm not sure if I'm capable of being happy. Truly, I'm not even being funny. I'm not sure that I'm capable of being like happy and content in life. Because I think I'm going to wig out. I'm going to get paz. I'm going to think, oh, what's going wrong? Well, There's got to be something. I'm going to start catastrophizing everything in my head. I think I like having a little bit of uh, little bit of turmoil in my life. You know what I mean? I think I like it. I can't function without a little bit of stress. I'm so used to it. I need a little bit of danger. Now that I don't even do crime or anything anymore, like some days life just gets a bit flat. You know what I mean? I need that stimulation. I need that drive. I need to fuck around and get my heart broken or something or make a new record or do something. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, it's like that saying, you suffer for your art. Man, so much good music, so much good art. So many amazing insights have been born out of desperation and heartbreak and sadness and inner logging and other various disgusting feelings. But man, it is what it is. I don't know any other way to function on planet Earth, man. That's just me. I've come to accept that. I kind of am at one with it. I'm at peace with the balance. You know what I mean? I believe in this great harmony between chaos and order. Too much order and I start wigging out. Too much chaos, I start wigging out. I don't know, man. I need a nice pH level of suffering at all times. Like, fucking... <laughs> uh, fuck. Yeah, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to fuck up. Don't be afraid to get your heart broken. Don't be afraid to get rejected. Don't be afraid to fail. You know what I mean? We've all been there. And one thing you'll learn is that your suffering is unique to you. As twisted as that sounds. Your struggle and your story, you have ownership of it. It becomes unique to you. And you just have to embrace that. You know what I mean? We've all been there in life. We've all failed. We've all fucked up. You know, it's um, people that try and act perfect. It's all bullshit. Let's break down the walls and just relate to each other. Let's just be at one with the fact that... Yeah. You gotta get out there and live. That's what comes as the byproduct of living. You're just gonna go through some tough times. You know what I mean? That's all good. You wouldn't know happiness if you didn't know sadness. You wouldn't know success if you didn't know failure. It wouldn't mean anything to you. It's the contrast. It's the beauty of the contrast. And once you learn to embrace this, your journey of life becomes A, simpler, and B, easier. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? I look back in the past at some of my decisions and I think, I can't believe I would risk my freedom to make money but I would not risk my self-esteem to ask a girl out that I liked. You know what I mean? Isn't that funny? Think about it. It's like I would walk through all these crazy scenarios. I would put myself in full-blown danger of risking my freedom, potentially risking my life, risking anything I had. But when it came to risking my self-esteem, 
to try and go get a job I wanted or to try and finish a creative project or to ask that girl out that I liked. No, man, I couldn't do it. That's what's so crazy about a lot of guys that are caught up in the mix of the criminal lifestyle is they got heart, they got dash. They'll risk their freedom time and time again. They'll put everything on the line. They'll risk their life. But when it comes to something as simple as asking a girl out or changing your life or going to get a job, when they get that urge to do so, they're not willing to even risk their self-esteem to do it. It's tragic because I've been there and I know a lot of my mates have been there as well. But it's a funny contrast, isn't it, when you think about it. Yeah, you risk your entire freedom, but you won't risk your self-esteem. You won't risk your ego temporarily. What hurts more? Yeah, you know, like, um, food was my first addiction. I was 120 kilos when I was 12. I was 35 kilos above that healthy weight range for my age and height which is how you classify medical obesity. I was medically obese, right? And um, food for me was an outlet. It was a coping mechanism. It was a form of escapism. But what happens is you start to get addicted to this. And then that addiction grows in the sense that you're trying to escape some internal pain and trauma that you're feeling within. So you use the food to cope. And then as a byproduct of using that food to cope, you become overweight, you get fat, you get bigger. And then you feel so disgusting about your physical self that the only thing you know how to do is to self-medicate with that very same poison, the food, right? And um, let me tell you a story about my neighbor growing up in Ringwood, single parent household, single child, one son. He went to my high school as well. He was a few years below me and... um, One day in the schoolyard, me and my mate found him face down, struggling to breathe. He was morbidly obese. And we went up to him and we realized that he'd fallen flat with all these school books in his hand. And he didn't have the physical capacity to even flip over and rotate, let alone get back on his feet. And fuck knows how long he'd been in this state. He was so embarrassed he didn't want to talk. So me and my mate, we helped him up and um, we sent him on his way back to class and This guy stood out like a sore thumb in the schoolyard, the poor young kid. But what I could see in him was that so much damage had been done before he was old enough to know better. He was only 12 or 13 in year 7 at this time. And you don't get to that size that quickly. So obviously this problem had been from his childhood into his teen years. Before he's got the mental capacity to really understand why he does what he does how he could potentially change it and what's really going on for him internally. It's just a poor young bloke suffering in a world of pain that's using food as a coping mechanism and you would never see this guy anywhere else but high school, the supermarket down the road buying junk food and next door playing video games, right? And in the resulting years to follow, uh, he would end up in psych wards. He went in and out of mental health facilities as a result of his screen addiction, his morbid obesity, and the compounding mental health factors that go along with it, right? His whole life was physically hindered and mentally hindered, and he never got the chance to experience 
life the way other young males would. He never got the chance to experience so many things. And I found out just recently he passed away at the age of 27. He just died, right? 27 years old. That young man's entire life was spent in a cycle of addiction and mental health crisis. But the point I want to make is, why do we as a collective society not view this issue with the urgency that we view gambling addiction or drug addiction or alcoholism or smoking? Why is obesity such a contentious issue that gets swept under the rug? I've been there, right? I've been at the other end of the spectrum. I've lived this experience. And let me tell you, from my mind state back then, and from every other person I know that's overweight, if you gave them each a magic wand and said, you can wave this magic wand, click your fingers, and tomorrow you can wake up with your dream body, I would bet everything I own on the fact that not one of those people would wake up the next day and choose to have the body that they have. I guarantee that most people are stuck in this vicious cycle that I described. And I understand we have this weird body positivity movement creeping into society, trying to steer the narrative away from really healing people, right? And I get it. I don't think people deserve to be outcasted and bullied for their size because I've had that happen to me and it's not nice, right? But what I'm talking about is... Getting underneath the issue and seeing it for what it is. Understanding why people come to be in this situation and what we can do to resolve it. Helping people heal their traumas and their insecurities and understand their motivations for coping. To get them to a point where they are enabled and empowered to become their best selves, right? We've got one life on planet Earth. Everybody living deserves to be the best version of themselves that they could possibly be. And from my lived experience, right... And from witnessing this issue, not only in my family, but from my close acquaintances as well. On the whole, I think it's just as much of a crisis as all the other forms of addictions and coping mechanisms. And it takes a similar toll on society, on the public health system, on those around us, on social dialogue, everything, right? And I just don't understand why we as a society don't view this issue with the same urgency as we do other forms of addiction it's like it's fucking backwards you know what I mean yeah yeah I think uh, certainly the golden age of racking is behind us that's for sure that's for sure like um, yeah for those that don't know what I'm talking about when I say racking it's slang for shoplifting for theft stealing right um, and back in the day when me and all my friends were super active, it largely revolved around racking clothes, racking electronics, racking alcohol. Uh, and then you had guys that were a little bit more advanced that used to pop tills, right? And take the cash out of tills while the store's open. And bag snatchers too. And when I'm talking about bag snatchers, I'm talking about like uh, like cash tallies in a business at the end of the day, like bundles of cash getting snatched off counters and stuff. I'm not talking about stealing some poor old lady's handbag and running off down the street. That's a shit go. You wouldn't get away with that in my circle of people back in the day. That's for sure. That's a, that's a low one. But um, yeah, like it was just exciting. It was that that rush and that thrill of coming through in a brand new outfit 
pulling off a big bag rack. Like, we used to do foil bags, right? So, you used to get a throw-off bag, some type of shopping bag, or maybe it's a tote bag or something that can, like, fit a high density of clothes or whatever in it. And you used to line the inside with foil because it used to offset the sensors on the way out so the security tags wouldn't be set off, right? And even with those old-school Sensomatic, I think that was the brand Sensomatic. I used to know it inside out. The Sensomatic security tags, they used to have this kind of hook key that used to go inside them that you could pop them off. And at one stage, I acquired one, and then I had a mate that was a welder, and I got him to make like 10 of them, right? So we used to be able to do it that way. We had uh, Earth-style magnets that used to be able to clip off the ink tags. Or even still, if you did a bag rack with ink tags, you didn't have a magnet, you could either freeze freeze the whole ink tag and the garment and then that way that would freeze the little ink capsules so you could remove it or you used to be able to melt the corner if you were careful and then melt down the plastic corner and then remove the ink capsule inside it like man when there's a will there's a way trust me i've seen some crazy shit over the years with racking right one guy in particular probably a handful of guys but one guy in particular that i always have mad respect for he's passed on now bless his soul I won't drop his name, but he was a king racker, right? And um, he used to be really proud of the fact that he never got pinched racking. He had other charges for other things, but he never got pinched racking. And I'm talking, this guy used to be a day-in, day-out mad thief. I'm talking digital cameras, laptops, big bundles of clothes. Um, Man, I've seen this guy steal surveillance camera sets. I've seen this guy steal... um, tools for cars like big like one meter long um tool sets for cars man it was just next level i remember one day i saw him at flinders street station and we got on a, a train together it was an old school harry that had no cameras too right and he had two green bags on him full of iphones when they were first popping off i'm talking like jam-packed with iphones and probably 20 north face jackets right and he, he was a heroin user and he'd obviously had a taste, right? He started going on the nod when we are on the train. We're on this empty train carriage, me and him, no cameras, he's gone on the nod. In hindsight, I could have just snatched the two bags and just jumped off at the next stop. It would have been a good earn for me that day. But I had that much respect for the guy that there was no way I was going to do that. I ended up just kind of disturbing his Murray card and waking him up before it and just saying, be careful, because I had to jump off, right? But, um, yeah, the guy was a freak, like... Another mate of mine was like number one till popper in the city, right? All across the state. Detectives actually came to my mum's house in Ringwood looking for him at one stage and they told me he was running red hot and they were looking for him and I just threw off. But they told me, they said, when your mate's in prison, the amount of till theft on a graph goes down. When your mate's out of prison, the till theft in Victoria spikes high. That's how much of an impact he was having. That's how much of an impact he was having on till theft in Victoria. This guy was a freak. You know, he used to make bundles. And, um, yeah, like, slowly but surely, a lot of guys just transitioned into, like, dealing drugs or a lot of guys become so drug-addled that they kind of fell off and they weren't really able to rack anymore. And then the more that the CCTV and everything got upgraded, guys just started specializing in runouts. You know what I mean? Just full bogart, run in, just grab something and just run out, right? The actual art of racking really started to taper off. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, had a lot of like crazy fun times out there racking, you know what I mean? And, 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 and back then, right, 
We used to always come through in crazy Polo Ralph Lauren outfits. I think I read a list once of the top 10 most stolen things in the world and Polo Ralph Lauren as a brand entity was in that top 10. It was like an international symbol, but certainly on a local level, it was an international symbol of like someone that lived that racker's lifestyle. And it was almost like competition to come through in the flyest polo outfits and whatnot. And yeah, I can remember about 13, 14 years ago, me and my mate got arrested on Collins Street. Um, long story short, all charges were dropped. They thought we were good for something, but it was all sweet. And my mate had about twenty to $25,000 worth of like brand new polo on him, all crazy stuff. Me, him, and this other girl that was with us, we all got, got arrested at the time. And I can vividly remember the two policemen from uh, the old Melbourne East cop shop, right? Down Flinders Lane, it's moved to Burke Street now, but two jacks from that police station, they stopped us and they said, guys, what's with all the Ralph Lauren? Is that some sort of status symbol or something? <laughs> yeah, looking back, it was like funny times, you know, hectic times. Yeah, man, had a lot of fun racking and... um yeah, I think the golden age is over, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really interested in this psychological concept of complex trauma, right? Uh, I think sometimes people in society will think about trauma as an isolated incident. And they sort of see it like, you know, PTSD or well-known examples that are the direct fallout of one particular isolated event. And we see that as trauma, which is obviously true. But complex trauma is a little bit different. It's sort of a sustained environment of conditioning. I'll read you a definition for, for, uh, for reference sake, right? Complex post-traumatic stress disorder is a stress-related mental disorder generally occurring in response to complex traumas, i.e. commonly prolonged or repetitive exposures to a series of traumatic events within which individuals perceive few or no chance to escape. And, you know, I think sometimes we underrate what's happened to us growing up as not that traumatic because maybe there was only certain incidences here or there. But what we don't realize is that the repeated conditioning and the repeated exposure does severe like long running damage to you um, from a child all the way through to adult life. It can totally rewire your thought patterns and your brain's kind of neural responses to certain events, right? And um, I thought about it recently because a girl said to me that I know a friend of mine, she said, I can't believe the stark contrast in our lives. She said she feels like her life was so different to mine. She's almost like she was raised in an alternate universe and she can't fathom seeing or doing the things that I've seen and done, right? But it got me really thinking, right? Like for people that grew up, living a lifestyle on the wrong side of the tracks or involved in crime or or subject to abuse or anything like that they're so conditioned from repeated exposure repeated exposure to criminal behavior repeated exposure to um, kind of punitive behavior all these kind of things to the point where all these actions just become so normal 
you know what I mean? And I, I know a lot of guys that are violent like that, like lashing out and punching someone in the head is like brushing your teeth to them. It's just normal. And um, I think it's it's something that occurs that we don't quite understand because it's difficult to pick apart, right? Because you think about the average citizen, like, um, you know, you always hear these stories of, you know, maybe an everyday nine-to-five type that's always been a law-abiding citizen that gets caught up in a robbery gone wrong or something like that. And as an innocent bystander, they're then left traumatized for the rest of their life or could just be as simple as someone who has grown up with a quite safe and privileged life and then maybe once upon a time their car got broken into or there was that one time at the local train station where they saw a really heavily drug-affected person who they couldn't comprehend the behavior of and it stuck with them because their exposure to this kind of side of life is so small that when they see it is quite quite shocking um and can be difficult to comprehend but it just kind of gets lost in the memory bank as they go on and are exposed to more positive experiences but if you grow up in a low socioeconomic area or you grow up involved in the criminal lifestyle or you grow up around abuse or violence or anything like this your exposure levels and the type of thing that you're exposed to just becomes so different to the point where you start to normalize all these behaviors around you like um yeah it's really interesting when you see that it's almost like nothing nothing surprises me anymore nothing shocks me like people could tell me anything i'm not really that shocked because i feel like my exposure to such a wide range of especially negative negative occurrences is just so high but i'm more shocked by positive things that happen you know what i mean um and you think about it, it's like we're all interacting in society, but we've got a different scale of exposure from person to person, from individual to individual. And it's probably another reason to be tactful with each other because you don't know what the person in front of you has been exposed to. You don't know how they've been conditioned mentally, right? We're all just trying to go about our daily bizzo, but there's some of us out there that are dealing with the afflictions of uh trauma and things like that that are kind of fucking with our responses and sometimes it's um it's something that we can't help too uh i got really into like uh the polyvagal theory by stephen porgs um which sort of talks about like our mammalian kind of response system um in which we have like a fight and a flight mode but we also have like a freeze mode as well and it kind of talks about how the neural networks kind of relate to the vagus nerve and etc etc i'm not going to bore you to death with the specifics but if you're interested in this type of thing i highly recommend it looking up the polyvagal theory um because it will explain a lot about interpersonal engagements how people interact with each other coming from different lived experiences and different scales of conditioning yeah that's the um that's the tangent that i'm on at the moment mentally (laughs) you know what i mean that's what's um piquing my interest i can't help it you know my brain doesn't switch off like but yeah i'd much rather be thinking about sunshine and lollipops and fucking kfc or something but (laughs) nevertheless yeah yeah You know, growing up, um, I would hear my dad and his brothers talk with old school rhyming slang derived from kind of British Cockney rhyming slang, but 
molded for the Australian landscape, you know. People always used to talk like this, but I think sadly it's something that's that's passed us by now. Like sometimes I still talk like this out of habit and people have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, you know what I mean? But yeah, guys like my dad would always sort of say, Oh, could you pass the dead horse, the sauce or you know, have a couple of Britney Spears beers, you know, or you've got something on your eye, I suppose, your nose. Uh, hop on the bread and jam, that's the tram, you know, and Uncle Gus the bus, the iron horse, the train. Yeah, but, um, you know, even when I used to go out to the horse races and work for the bookies, you would hear all this type of slang. Criminals, especially if they've been in the prison system, would always kind of talk with this slang, like, I actually think it's kind of sad that we've lost that kind of larrikinism in the way that we converse with each other. It just makes things a little bit more interesting, you know, especially with a bit of dark sense of humor. Like, it, would, it, it wouldn't be uncommon to hear something like, uh, trying to think, you know, like, guys would say, oh, he's a fucking chalky moose, that bloke. A fucking bad brass monkey. He's always running a raging jackrabbit. Yeah, since back in the day, he was on the Lou Reed, now the fried rice. Fucking loves the Persian rugs, you know what I mean? Whether in the Warwick farm, up the garden hose, wherever. He'd shelve it off his fucking Bundaberg rum if he could, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, like, and then, you know, I used to go see the old bookies at the horse races, and they'd say, oh, what's doing China? You know, you're trying to plate your mate. Or when it came to change, someone would go, he's a steward diver, a fiver, a Peter McKenna, a tenner, you know, lobster, a 20, pineapples, apples, 50s, hundreds, you know. And don't even get me started on the actual horse racing, my God. Like, you want to hear even deeper slang. You, you could be out at the horse races and you get these old blokes from back in the day, like proper old school racetrack heads. They'd say, fuck. They'd say something like, you know, oh, did you see that last favourite? That thing jumped London to a brick on. It was caught three wide. The trip was pulling like a fucking Collins Street dentist. He couldn't write its name at the top of the straight. It was stone motherless. It'd need a torch to find its way home. Anyway, chopped back to the rail, scraped the Julux and got up in a photo. They must have the good tonic over there. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And... If you weren't hip to it, if you couldn't follow, like, you'd be on the outer in terms of the conversation. So you got to get wise to what people were saying. And it was kind of, I don't know, I always found it fascinating. always loved language. always thought it was cool. kind of overlapped with my passion for rap music and music in general and lyrics and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's sad that people don't, don't talk like that anymore. I mean, each their own. Some people just find it annoying. But, yeah, I don't know, I feel like it... Uh, spices up conversation you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah self sacrifice is a dangerous hole as well like when you sacrifice yourself to try and please others or help others or anything but you know you can't help someone that can't help themselves and the other thing is if you're not 100% if you're not looking after yourself and you give too much of yourself to others, you're left lonely. Like, you know, I can remember even as a youth, there was these, um, uh, the youth organization Reach used to organize these camps for kids and they used to have like, you know, graffiti tutorials and rap music tutorials. And I got invited with a couple of my friends to go down there and help out young kind of wayward youth and teach them fun things like rapping and my friends would teach them graffiti and we would kind of get them engaged and all this kind of stuff and 
I was always down to, to help other people, especially when I was really involved in rap music and you would have these kind of youth community workshops and stuff. I always used to really like to get involved in this kind of stuff. But the, the thing was, I was never helping myself underneath. I knew that I had issues and that was bubbling at the surface and I was getting worse and worse and worse. But I just kind of sacrificed myself in order to help others. I felt like I didn't really matter as much as other people or I have no clue how to help myself. So I'm gonna try and make myself better by helping others. And um, man, I used to do a lot of chop outs, a lot of solids, do a lot of favors for guys that I don't even know anymore. I've fed mouths of people that I don't even know anymore. You know what I mean? Go on the distance for blokes that I just don't talk to anymore. And that's unfortunately the sad way that the cookie crumbles and you get older and you want to protect your own energy and in that sense you start to realize that we've got a finite amount of time on planet earth and who you choose to associate with is important and the type of energy that you want to have around you you become a reflection of the people around you so you've got to be very 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 careful in who you invest in and sometimes if you move away from somebody or you let go of that person's energy, it's not personal. It's just something that you have to do in order to protect yourself. Because I've done it to people and people have done it to me, right? Sometimes I don't hang out with people that much anymore from the, the, the particularly the criminal side of my lifestyle back in the day because it's almost like we just remind each other too much of traumas gone by. We remind each other too much of hectic times and deep down there's a mad respect. It's always like I'm always there for that person even though I don't, I don't see them on the reg. I'm still there for that person. I still got a lot, lot of love in my heart for that person and I'm still grateful for the experiences that we've shared and you know what I mean? We walk through the jungle together but at the same time sometimes you can feel this this mutual thing between you where it's like if you want to peel off and move on with your life and make positive movements, maybe you have to ease up on, on seeing each other as much, even though you've got so much love for the other person. And often I always think of people, but I don't see them as often, right? And it's nothing personal. It's just you get to a stage where you realize you've got to protect your own energy because as much as... um. As much as the world of crime, it's a Machiavellian game, you know what I mean? People are out for themselves, but at the same time, there's that sweeping sense of brotherhood and loyalty and stuff that you kind of adhere to. And you do go the distance for other people. And there are people in the game that will feed off others, right? Leeches, or just people that are down and out, and they will feed off others that can't help it. Um, I always try to maintain a sense of independence and just a, a common ground of respect between people. But I certainly did a lot of favours where I probably shouldn't have. You know what I mean? Whether it was risking my freedom for someone or whether it was extending money to someone or tick to someone or just doing something that I probably shouldn't have done at the time for that person because you got to think like every time you do a solid for someone... You're a good person, you've got a big heart, you've got a big ticker, you want to extend a favor to someone, but you've got to ask yourself something. What can this person do for me in return, and would they do it for me in return? You know what I mean? Don't get caught up in self-sacrifice. Uh, I see it with a lot of people, and nowadays I see it in like workplaces or um, 
couples, things like that. I can see people I know, I can see them self-sacrificing in order to please the other person, but it's usually a one-way street, that shit. And I'm not saying to be ruthless, lone wolf that doesn't give a fuck about anyone else. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying uh, you got to balance your energy. Do the right thing by yourself. Make yourself full of life to the point where you've got life to give to others. And then be selective about who you give life to, right? Who you do favors for, who you do chop outs and solids for. You know what I mean? The bottom line is just protect your energy. Seriously, straight up. Protect your energy. Yeah.